Welcome to Dice Changers, a podcast where we cover topics related to Dungeons and Dragons in the greater TTRPG space. I'm your host, Aaron, and today we're joined by artist, streamer, and cosplayer, Red Queen Hales. Hello, 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 the one and only. Hi, how's it going, Aaron? It's going so great, and I'm so excited to have you on, because honestly, you're somebody who I've... I, you're a longtime friend. Two years, we've known each other for two years. Yeah, we've known each other... April of last year would be about right. Yeah, that's when we would have met. I'm really, really, really excited to get into everything today. I've known you for two whole years now, but the audience might just be meeting you. Can you tell everybody really quickly where they can find you online and kind of what you do in the online space? Yeah, uh, so kind of rehashing a little bit of what you said. Uh, my name's Haley, or Hales as most people call me, because my username on all my socials is Red Queen Hales. Uh, I am a graphic artist, freelancer. I actually quit my job last year and started doing this full time. I basically am paid to draw people's TTRPG characters, primarily Dungeons and Dragons, though I have had a few other different tabletop games characters come my way. Um, my job is basically you give me a written list, maybe a mood board for your character. I say, all right, cool. I'll get this to you pretty soon. I draw them up and then I send them off to their happy home. They're used in any sort of program that you can use to play games on. I see it a lot of Roll20, um, Obsidian, that brand new project uh, program that just came out. But yeah, Red Queen Hales. Red Queen Hales is where most people can find me. Uh, with that, Red Queen Hales uh, being where you can find you and Red Queen Hales being my good friend, you came on here with a very specific topic you wanted to talk about today. Can you describe to the audience real quick what we're going to be talking about? Oh, yeah. We're basically going to be talking about my forte, which is primarily visual character design. This is not like race and class, though that does play into how a character can be designed. I'm talking about if you had to physically write out a character from start to finish, from basically the inside out, how would their appearance look if you were describing your character to someone so they could get a clear image in their head of the portrayal? I feel like this is really great for somebody who you've already said you are an artist for this sort of thing. So you're kind of an expert in this field. But I think a lot of people might be confused as to why this might be such an important part of their character building. I actually think this is vital to knowing who your character is, is knowing what they look like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Basically, what I'm going to be talking about is me just reaching out my hand and being like, take my hand, take my hand. We're going to talk about your character. We're going to give them visuals. You may have so, like you might have a motivation for your character to be in a campaign. You might even have like you have this entire world built in and all of a sudden it's like, OK, hey, describe your character. And then you're just suddenly sitting there like, well, I know their motivations, but I don't necessarily know how they look. But how they look can play into their motivations, can play into the universe's motivations. How they look can play into so many different aspects. And I actually have a list of aspects written out that can actually determine how your character can appear or how your character's appearance basically correlates to their universe. Okay, so looking at this then, let's go ahead and start from your perspective on things. You are someone who people pay to draw their characters. When you're given this commission and you might have someone who doesn't have the best idea of exactly what their character looks like, what are kind of the first few things you ask? Where do you start the percolation of the character idea in your head? So normally the easiest base to start off is, is what is the race and what is the class? Because a lot of times that's where you get kind of like your meat and potatoes. A lot of times you want somehow how they look, unless it's a joke character and that's kind of like the exact opposite. 
which is actually also still somehow plays into the characters design themselves you're like yeah they're a sorcerer but they dress like a fighter or yeah they're a wizard but they dress like an artificer like there are all these different aspects about race and class that can play into a character design so that's normally where i ask a person to start so let's for example take elves elves are like you're kind of they are your bread and butter of your fantasy race People know primarily what elves look like in their heads. Where I come in, I'm like, okay, do they have like round, really bright eyes? Do they have like maybe a sharp nose bridge that kind of ends in a little bit of a hook? Do they have super high cheekbones or maybe like a sharp heart face? Or how long are their ears? Are they short and little stubby? Or are they super, super long? Like in relation, you can kind of decide like you have like your generic elf aesthetic but then you could take up those really certain like aspects of what makes an elf an elf or what you think makes an elf an elf and say, okay, how can I customize this to my character though? I feel like with your elf example, everyone knows kind of the fantasy idea of an elf, but there are so many different forms of an elf that exist. So for example, there are like the Tolkien elves, which are these tall, majestic, high cheekboned, relatively short eared individuals. But then you look at like classic D&D elves, which are on the shorter end with very long ears and perhaps a little bit more almost gnomish features with like rounded cheeks and things like that. So I think this is a good point to start making the distinction for your character outlines. And I think that's a really good question to start with. Yeah, aesthetics, especially when it comes to races. So like, for example, one that I recently actually had a really good conversation with the client with, tabaxi, because tabaxi are cat people. If you Google cats, your Google image searches are going to be filled with all different breeds. You can make tabaxis from snow leopards. And then you kind of, if you're like looking at big, large cats, there's leonins. Like there's a ton of different cats that you can choose off your base. So if you're like, yeah, I have a tabaxi barbarian that's from primarily snow, like snow capped mountains. Yeah, a snow leopard makes sense. Absolutely. Or I have a savanna cat who, you know, maybe was raised as like a blade dancer and I want it to be like maybe like a sand cat. Like you can have those kind of, that's where environmental comes in, where you can kind of use your environment to kind of play into your character's race and class and also aesthetic which in turn adds to the character's appearance. I think that's a really good place to start. Like, I think Leonin and Tabaxi are actually a really good example of this because when we talk about the different variations of a character, even if we go to the most mild example of a Tabaxi, which is to say the amount of house cats that exists, well, it's like, okay, is your house cat, is it a long tail? Is it a short tail? Is it a long fur or a short fur? A short that's really some rural juror stuff to try and say. Long hair or domestic short hair, I think is what Thank you're trying you. to say. That's what I'm trying to say. I, I'm going to leave this in because I actually uh, misspeak quite often because I am a human being. Um, are they tortoise shell pattern? Are they a dappled pattern? Oh, uh, yeah. What kind of look? Yeah. If you took the two cats that I currently live with as an example, I have a tiny little kitten. Her name is Sansa. She is a soon-to-be long hair. She's still a kitten, so she's in her scraggly stage. She is a long hair domestic cat that is a creamsicle type of pattern with orange stripes only on the orange parts of her body. Then if you take my cat, Luna, she is a fuzzy black cannonball on legs. All round. <laughs> she is just all round. So if you take those aspects and you're like, okay... All right, say, for example, I designed, you know, maybe my cat would be, if you were just going to take, like, 
you know, a random class. Uh, let's make her, I don't know what, what I make Luna look into or something along those lines. You know her. She shows up all the time. I feel like Luna is either like wild magic sorcerer with lots of fireballs or gremlin rogue. One of the two. Oh, she'd be a gremlin rogue. She'd be a gremlin okay, rogue. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so she was a gremlin rogue. She's currently wearing a bandana right now. That is a thing. That is a physical in real life trait that she has. I would translate that to her character design. And I would not purposefully draw her skinnier than she is because in real life, she is rotund. She is round. She is a circle. She is large and in charge. So like her character design would primarily be based on how her aspects are in real life. I would not try to diminish. If anything, I would try to play out those aspects to create individuality. But if I took the kitten, she's tiny. She's lanky. She's a little scraggly. She's growing into her own. I wouldn't necessarily make her the prettiest, but I would play up her features to like maybe show a more youthful appearance. Maybe, you know, kind of like that lanky, awkward teenager type of body size. Absolutely. So when it comes to specifically designing characters and things like that, there's a lot of different things that come in mind. Race and class, that's basically your bread and butter. But a lot of times what people tell me is um, like background in history. Background in history can kind of play a very huge part. Uh, Another really great example of where I got background in history or just environment, to say the least, of what they grew up in. Um... This was a half dwarven, half elvish. Um, if I remember right, it was a hexblade warlock. Oh, so, right. okay. I was really into this character, and then you said hexblade warlock, and I was like, because eh, 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 I've had so many of them in my life, so many in my games. I've had quite a few hexblade warlocks, but unfortunately, in my business, I do see some repeat offenders. Not that that's a bad thing. Not necessarily. You can play your character however you want. Just some of us who have to play with a lot of characters sometimes find certain classes we see more often than not. Yes. So repeat offenders is never a bad thing. Variety is always can always be found, even with repeated offenders. So when it comes to this particular character, the environment that this character grew up in really played a part into how they were perceived. For example, half dwarven, half elvish. It's kind of like, you know, two ends of the spectrum. It was a beautiful in the face, but a more full, round, pear-shaped body with shorter, stubbier legs, but like long, flowing, golden blonde hair, but like maybe a shorter, stubbier sort of nose. And it was playing up that while also kind of figuring out like, okay, how does this affect her like appearance and like how she like shows herself? It was like, okay, some more elvish clothing, but maybe with a little bit of a dwarven appeal. So maybe some like art deco meets art nuevo or industrial armor where like maybe instead of like the really nice like floor de lis sort of patterns that you would see with elvish armor, you would see maybe a little bit more of a hammered iron sort of look or that more dwarvish sort of rag, like ragged, like more industrial appearance. I feel like in this explanation you're giving, I feel like you're giving the good reason for people to reach out to maybe their friends or colleagues who know art very well, because you're saying several terms that like, I took an art history class once and I kind of recognize, but ultimately it comes down to the idea that you took the time to learn these things, you're trained in this craft and things like that. However, that's kind of the purpose of what we're talking about is that it's you as the artist. What are you looking for for this? So I really like that you're throwing in these art terms and different maybe styles of art that exist because 
to a layman like myself, I look at that and I go, I want this thing to be curvier. And you go, that is like more of like a French design. And I go, okay, here's my money. So this is not something that everybody can do. Like sometimes, especially like when it comes to commissioning artists. So like, obviously everybody has their own pay rate. Normally my, if you commission me and you say, I have this character, I'm not quite sure what I want to do with it. I don't necessarily charge extra for asking questions to get answers for me to do a better job for you to be happy as my client. So if you're like, I have this really good character design, I think in my head, but there are still some details that are kind of fuzzy. And I'm like, okay, are you leaving it up to dealer's choice where you just trust me with my gut? Or do you like me to ask you more questions to trust kind of like iron it in? So with the different aspects of that in mind, normally I have a few questions that kind of pertain to this particular character about how I can design elements to fit the character and the narrative for the character while also suiting their personality. So I have a couple different categories of questions and things that I look for when it comes to character designing. So I already kind of briefly touched on environment. I'm like, okay, maybe this is their race, their class. This is maybe like in the situation that they grew up in. Like, are they living in a small fishing town? Are they like from this big industrial city? Are they from like the forest? Are they living at the center of a volcano? Like where is the environment that will play a part as to how they dress, quite possibly how they look. You know, obviously if you are like, if your character's job is obviously a working class, maybe they prefer to keep their hair short, keep it out of the way or keep it in a ponytail. You are mentioning a lot of things that I feel like are very easy to pull into character design because there are already things people are looking at for their character lore when they're heading into a campaign because these two things are pretty well connected, a character's lore and backstory and their design. So you talk about environmental stuff. You mentioned um, it in just that you've already mentioned the terrain they live in, the job they might have had beforehand, personal preferences as to comfort and style, and maybe any expectations put upon them. Already, that is such a field day to start with with character design choices because you can go any number of ways based off of their economic class and things like that. And that's you've touched on that in maybe 30 seconds worth of talking. So I'd love to see where you're going further from there. Oh, yeah. Like, just strap in. Like, I barely scratched the surface of this iceberg when it comes to this these categories that I have. So that was sort of environment. Now we're going to talk about universe slash world. What is the universe and world that this character lives in? Is this a very idyllic sort of world where there's little to no peace and suddenly there's like a horde of vampires coming out? Is there like a constant rampant war going on where from the minute that this character is born, all they've known is chaos? Like how their universe runs and where they are at within this universe can also play into this character's design. So, for example, say I have a character named May, you know this, her older sister just decided to go off and be an adventurer, but otherwise they lived in a very idealistic world. So, basically, for her, her design was very much, you know, your general tunic, until she had to go and find her sister who went and got hurt in this magical encounter, and then all of a sudden she's donning cleric armor. How the world is functioning can relate to how your character actually interacts and then also can be designed. 
I think I like this because one of the things, too, with the environment that you were mentioning there was the environment informs the style of clothing. I think it also the environment informs the material as well. And we're not just talking about like the environment like we were talking earlier as a grand like terrain idea. But we talk about the world building. So a couple examples of this. One is the Dark Sun universe that exists. It's an older uh, setting for Dungeons and Dragons where it's essentially a post-apocalyptic setting where there's not a lot of metal. So characters who wear armor are not necessarily wearing metal armor. They're not wearing like large pieces of plate or things like that. I think another example that's a little bit closer to home for you, though, is the Monster Hunter universe, because that's a universe where there are huge monsters and so much of the armor is built out of those monster bits, right? That's basically the name of the game. The Monster Hunter entire franchise is kill a big thing, make armor out of this big thing. Cool. Whatever this big thing dealt you, you are now able to take advantage on so you take less fire damage cool you take that with the next monster and you just keep lather rinse repeating it, it's truly a beautiful like i'm not gonna go on the tangent oh please how beautiful this game please is, go into a tangent i would love to hear it especially if it informs what we're talking about today because i feel like it really is that easy when you look at your favorite video games, because honestly, look at any video game ever. And it's doing exactly what we're talking about, where it takes the world building and uses that to inform the character design. We talk about like Halo is a classic is a classic video game. Every character we meet is wearing modern tactical equipment or a spacesuit or a combination of modern tactical equipment and a spacesuit because it's a modern war game in space. Um, Monster Hunter is monster bits that are turned into armor. Um, like Sonic, the only costume he wears is shoes because he got to go fast. You know what I mean? Like there's just so many things about the world building you can use to inform your character. I don't know why I went to Sonic of all things, but you know what? I'm in a Sonic mood. Oh, you know what? It's fine. It's totally fine. Chaos control and all that. I'm trying to make a joke to follow that up, but I really was not expecting Sonic in this conversation. Sonic. Sonic. But yeah, no, what you're saying about how environment, so like, for example, I'm, I'm going to be throwing a lot of examples your way, but this just please, helps visualize. Please, please. This is, this is a visual aid. For the people who don't know the terms, like me, examples are so helpful. So please throw as many examples as you want. Okay, so we're going to start from the list, like the top of my list. So we're going to nail environment. Okay, we are basically going to take, how about we're going to do a swashbuckler water genasi. All right. So you already have the theme of aquatic within there. We're going to give them the job of being a shipmate on a pirate crew. Um, the world currently, let's just say there is a huge embargo on goods being shipped across continents. So now more than ever, piracy is super latent within this world. So if this character is constantly battle torn, they're constantly like, in the midst of ship-on-ship -ship battle combat and they're a swashbuckler, there's a couple different ways that you can go about this. So instead of being like, oh yeah, they're a pirate, why don't we take things from the environment and use that for the design? So instead of like big fancy designs where like, yeah, let's give them like a big old pirate hat and like maybe a bandana around their head, why don't we take some materials that maybe possibly they could find throughout the ship? Um, one of the first things that's kind of off the beaten trail, burlap, burlap sacks, or maybe carrying items. Why not make burlap into some sort of character element design as far as clothing and accessories go? Another one, uh, torn up pirate flags for maybe ships that they've sunk before. Why not make that into clothing? 
That is the coolest idea. A cloak made of all of the flags your 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 crew has helped destroy. Yeah, why not have a badass pirate captain who her design, instead of wearing this huge buccaneer style cloak, she literally just has a gigantic bandana made of bits and pieces of the felled pirate flags that she has commandeered from the ships that she has sunk. That's so cool. You can uh, make character design by telling the story of what they've accomplished. I also love the idea that earlier you mentioned burlap and the audience couldn't see this, but I visibly cringed because um, I have had to wear costumes made of burlap before for Renaissance festivals and things like oh, that. Oh, it is not comfortable. It is the itchiest thing in the world. But also that can be part of the story. Yeah, my level one character isn't the badass captain with the flag cloak. I'm the guy who we ran out of clothing. There's an embargo. I'm wearing the leftover burlap and sailcloth turned into like a, a random tunic. Why not have somebody that has armor made of fish scales from the gigantic marlin that they brought up and served as their dinner a few days ago? Like, you can totally use the environment, what they eat. Like, why not? Like, we'll do the whole mermaid logic. We'll use seashells as a bra. We'll use, uh, yeah. By the way, I feel like that does not give nearly enough support. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But let's be honest here. When has femme presenting armor ever given full coverage? I also feel like it would be less comfortable than underwire. Like, somehow. I feel like there's a lot of sharp edges. They're going to definitely. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) I love that I broke you. I did it. I did it. I'm living that in. I've been waiting on it. I was trying to figure out how to come back from that. And I'm like, (laughs) where's our sharp edges? That's all staying in. Oh my god. Okay, but yeah, that's that's a, as weird of an example as that was. You can do that with any setting. Like we just described that for this pirate sailor character, but like if I threw something at you, you could do this really easily. Like if I said, "You know what? We're living in a post-apocalyptic world where the dragons burned down basically every forest and now we have to live off of the water that collects in the rocks." What Why am I not have a shield thinking? made out of a gigantic dragon scale from a corpse of a dragon that was felled years ago? Exactly. It doesn't have to be magic. It doesn't have to be anything that a dungeon master might object to, because let's be honest, dungeon masters object to a lot sometimes, or they don't, depending on your dungeon master. I'm personally the latter. Um, But like those little design choices are fully within your control as someone who is part of the character. And I love that inspiration. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the pirate, that is another one of my categories. That is a job. So you have... You know, you have class. Some people say classes can be jobs, but it's like, mm, let's delve into that a little bit more, actually. Why don't we? So obviously, like you have, you know, mm, let's take Bloodhunter, for example. Bloodhunter, okay, okay, okay. kind of self-explanatory. You're a hunter that uses blood. But what about this character makes them want to go out and go accomplish things? Like, obviously, maybe they have some sort of story motive. Maybe family member got God because, you know, tragic backstories always get the people going. Or maybe literally their primary, like, primarily big thing that they're looking for is just to get paid. Maybe their job is something that to them is a rite of passage or a rite of honor. So, like, maybe their job is literally, I just hunt big monsters and I get paid to do so. Money is a huge motivator. It motivates everything in the real world. And in this world, you can 
you like you can literally raise economic classes as an adventurer being paid is a totally valid reason for your adventurer to be pursuing a specific profession so i'm going to take that job example and i'm going to give you two different outcomes okay you're going to have a blood hunter that is so good at their job they're constantly getting paid they may have a big head. So you know what they're doing? They're going out and buying the nicest leather dusters. They have clean, brand new gear. Every single time they go out into battle, they have shiny new weapons with little to no nicks in them. I mean, they're smoking nice cigars. They have an air of, I'm so expensive, the world will know how much I get paid. And then there's going to be like, the blood hunter who's like so battle worn they're like there's no point in going out and buying new things and replacing it like if it ain't broke don't fix it they're like i'm gonna continue to get paid i'll buy new stuff when this stuff or when these boots literally fall off of my feet so their job is to hunt until their clothes literally fall off and then there's some people like i've got paid from hunting so good i'm just gonna keep continuously buying new things to flex on all of these people job you can really sort of delve into how a person can perceive themselves based on what their job is as well. Paladins, they don't really necessarily care about looking the best. They could have scratch, they could have ding, they could have hammered on dented metal. As long as it has the crest of their deity, they could not probably care less. And even if it does have the crest of their deity, Maybe they have some sort of amulet or blessed weapon that their deity gave them, which can also be a part of their character design. Maybe to them, their faith in how they perceive their deity is way more important than actually showing people their deity. I really like that one as well, because you talked earlier about how race and class are kind of the meat and potatoes of character design. That goes as far as subclasses as well. So you talk about different characters who have maybe different levels of financial freedom and profession. In Oath of the Crown Paladin, their literal job is like Kingsguard, which means they're making a lot more money than, say, an Oath of the Ancients Paladin, which is just somebody who's out there to protect nature. You talk about, like, maybe they don't care as much about what they're wearing. That's probably true for the Oath of the Ancients Paladin. But, like, the Oath of the Crown Paladin has to present themselves in this beautiful armor, has to be ornate and ornamental because of just their profession and standing in life, even though they're the same class. So in my head, an Oath of the Crown Paladin, old grizzled man, war-torn, maybe covered in scars, keeps his hair short. Because if it's going to be fitting in a helmet, you don't need long, billowing hair. And armor would not be pristine unless it was for very royal decrees or very special events or occasions, maybe receiving a monarch from a different land. Interesting. So you're going like veteran design. Yeah, because if you are part of something that is protecting royalty, it's almost like a flex in and of itself to show all the trials and tributes that have tried to kill you and haven't. Why not flex on the fact that you have been literally broken and beaten and say, I'm still here. You see all these scars. You see all these dents and scratches. They didn't kill me. What makes you think you can? It's a visual. You should have seen the other guy. Yeah, it's literally a visual flex without saying I killed a man. It's just an old veteran going, they tried to kill me. I'm still standing here. What does that tell you? I'm assuming that when you talk about jobs and their design, we can also take into account even mechanical things on the page, like um, the backstory they've picked um, and what's the name of it, the tool proficiencies they can grab. Because like people can have had like normal people jobs before they became adventurers. Like a baker might, a barbarian baker might use like a big rolling pin as their club because that's what they do. 
Exactly. You do not have to adhere to very strict rules when it comes to any of these categories. These are more of like a general outline than anything. So when it comes to jobs, one of these categories that I have is the rule of cool. I'll get to that later, though. Okay, so, okay, okay. So the, the the rolling pin is kind of the rule of cool. Does it make a lot of sense? Like, obviously, if you see some crazy person screaming, I would like to rage, like brandishing a rolling pin running at you, you're going to be like, crazy, but threatening. Yeah. So, so you're not going to like, you're going to maybe like laugh it off a little bit until you get bonked over the head with it and concussed. And you're like, oh, that's a weapon. So jobs are one of the categories that I like keeping into because I always recommend to never really stop at just a class being considered a job. Delve into it a little bit more and maybe see what their work ethic is a little bit like. See what their motivations are maybe beyond just an emotional standpoint. Because that can kind of play into maybe the accessories that they keep on them. Or maybe how pristine their armor is. Um, for example, if somebody knows that they're going to be taking a lot of really up-close blows, maybe they're going to be preferring chainmail over leather armor. There's very obvious answers to some of these. But some of them, maybe especially if your character has maybe a little bit more of a confusing motivation for joining a party or being part of a campaign. Or, you know, maybe their aesthetic is just straight up kooky. I don't know. Maybe you have just a princess from another galaxy whose cloak is literally made out of woven stars and she's just standing there literally emitting light. You're like, you're weird. And she's like, yeah, but I can protect you. Yeah, like, that's a baller Asimir concept. Not going to lie. That's pretty great. Uh, copyright Red Queen Hales 2022. Oh, Paul Red Queen Hales. Okay, yeah, there you go. Uh, you right. can have it. Yeah, mine. <laughs> that's my job. Um, you t- so thus far, we've kind of gone over some of the different categories. We've gone over the... Um, yeah, so we have location environment. We have world and universe. We have job. I wrote down two more. One I re- mentioned, which is rule of cool, but I'm saving that one for last because that one's the okay. one. So what is this mystery fourth category then? Relationship to self and to others. So when you talk about this, can you define that category for me a little bit more? So sometimes, have you ever been given a knickknack that somebody has handed down to and you're like, I will treasure this always. I will wear this necklace, this ring that is my great, great grandmother's. I will have on me forever. Um, I was told by my mentor that to wear only the darkest blacks. Otherwise, there's a potential that it could be seen. Never show anything but the eyes or never the inherited show item. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's not necessarily just an inherited item. It's quite possibly could be. I was raised to be like this or raised to wear these accessories or raised to think that this is the uniform because this is a relationship that maybe I had to a mentor or to a family member or to a friend. So a lot of times it's maybe like, you know, the the scorned lover who you know, maybe their significant other was killed and they're like, I'm wearing their necklace as a remembrance of them. So, you know, you have this very, like, maybe it's like a pendant or something along those lines with the lover's, like, deity insignia on it or something. Another, like, very real-world example of this could be, um, as an example, when people get tattoos of either the names or something representing one of their loved ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I literally have one on myself of my old family pet. So relationships to others can also influence how we show ourselves like you have your helicopter moms you can't color or dye your hair your hair always has to be long 
or, you know, maybe you have a military style family where there's like a great grandfather, something along those lines that say shortcuts, uh, any hair that's longer than the ear is considered too feminine. Or so then all of a sudden your characters and the character is guilted into maintaining a status of how they look based on other people's perceptions or requirements. Absolutely. So relationship to others can also affect the character design because maybe, you know, in my head, you know, maybe as a little girl or something along those lines, there's this character and the mother goes to this character and says, oh, I love the color of your hair. It reminds me of marigolds. And then all of a sudden you're like, all of a sudden this character realizes that their hair is their pride and joy. So they continuously grow it out and, you know, maybe it gets chopped off in battle and all of a sudden it's this big identity crisis where they're feeling a little lost and maybe a little disconnected from their family now that this thing is gone. So there's different ways that you can play up relationships to others. So, so a lot of times I say relationships to others and things like that, that is kind of like a mentor to mentee. Um, Maybe it's like a master assassin who's like training this kid that they picked off off the streets into being like a pickpocketer that doesn't get caught. She's like, oh, you want to steal something? I'll teach you how to do it and not get caught. Or, wow, you made eye contact with that guy right when you stole from him. You're going to need to be better about that. I can show you how. So all of a sudden you see this character going from like really scraggly things to this mentor teaching them like, I'm going to steal you how to teach really, or I'm going to teach you how to steal really nice linens, or I'm going to teach you how to get this food for super cheap. So that way you're able to, you know, maybe fill out a little bit more and gain some extra muscle Uh, relationships to others, especially like Rocky Balboa, you get a personal trainer who's just like, I believe in you. You're going to be great. You're this little street urchin I picked up off the side of the road. I'm going to take you to the monastery. I'm going to teach you morals and ethics. And you're going to get fucking buff. Like relationships to others, not only is that an emotional and a logical standpoint, but it can also be an aesthetic one as well. Okay. With the emotion. So we talked about the other categories and we can use those to fill out a lot of the character details, but this specific category seems to be something that you probably don't want to go overboard with as someone who draws a lot of like beginning characters, the beginning of their arc, and then maybe later revisits another commission um, to do it later on. When someone is starting out, how many do you think of these relationship sort of representations in their character design? Would you suggest somebody start with? I always think it's a little bit of a sliding scale, to be entirely honest, because there are some characters that are like, I grew up wanting to be exactly like the captain of the guard, so I literally cut my hair to look like him. I worked out every single day to get muscles like him. I wanted to be acknowledged and trained by him so badly, so my entire existence is based off the fact that this man was my hero. Or maybe it's, I once broke into this artificer's tinker shop, and instead of kicking me out or calling the town's guard, he taught me how to use a hammer. And now I have a small hammer that I keep on me to remind him, like to remind myself of him. Okay, that makes total sense. Yeah, you can play it up depending on the intensity of the character themselves. It could be as simple as, yeah, I wear my great grandmother's like magic ring all the way up to this man's existence basically gave me a reason for living. Therefore I want to, you know, impersonation is the, is that how the phrase go? Impersonation is the best flattery. Something, something like that. Something along those lines. Yeah. I'm pretty sure anybody listening will know what I'm talking about. 
Okay. Well, if we, so let's hop back to one of our previous examples real quick. We have this pirate character and we decided that instead of the cool captain with all the flags, we're love, our level one character is the one with the leftover sailcloth and like burlap clothing. But that might be something that starts something small for that character design where they might not have the giant cloak of flags, but perhaps every time they defeat an enemy, they take a small swath of cloth off of their, uh, their clothing. And at that point, they have like a small bandolier of just like that is the color on that design is it's mostly like planes and tans with that splash of color that comes across with their little bandolier of cloth from all the enemies they defeated. It could be a rite of passage for all we know. It could be you don't get to earn cloths until you've proven your medal on the ship. Anybody who on that ship has a part of a pirate flag means that they have proven themselves and have seen battle. Our level one character could literally just not have a flag and then after maybe the first major encounter where they down that pirate ship could be a really great rp where that pirate just takes out a knife just slits down the center tears off this huge chunk of pirate flag and toes over to our level one character and says tie this around your wrist you're one of us now and that is now a part of the character element Absolutely. I think that also highlights something that's really big that I think that not a lot of people think about with character designs is they are constantly evolving. You might get your character commissioned at a very specific point of time. You might design them at a very specific moment, maybe with like Hero Forge or maybe your own art if you have artistic ability. But the the look of a character, just like the narrative, should be constantly evolving and changing with that character. Oh, yes. I do truly believe that Normally it tends to happen with big level jumps. A lot of times it's like level one, level five, level seven, level 10. You get that progression. You know, it really depends on how quick your campaign goes or how generous the DM feels with handing out levels. A lot of times when your character goes through these big changes, you have an image of what you, we all do this thing where we have an image of what we want in our head, the character to be like. And then as we role play them or we like, put them out into the universe for like, oh, they're not turning out the way that I want. That's not necessarily a bad thing. So progression with both how the character acts and what they'll look like will naturally happen with time. A lot of times it's just as quick and easy as updating maybe a reference sheet or changing a hero forge, like you said. I do normally ask that, especially with commission art, if you know a character has gone through a recent change and you have commissioned art to ask the person you have commissioned the art from, hey, this thing in this campaign happened. They got this big weapon that's kind of really tied to the story. I would really love to have that. Is that something that we can add on or is it too late? And then also kind of understand that there may be circumstances where that might not be able to happen. Absolutely. You should always keep in mind the work that your artist has already done or might be able to do or might have expected to do when they took on a commission. Because uh, something that we've talked about in the past is with commissions specifically, an artist is totally within their rights to go, hey, your character design is a lot more than I thought it was going to be. Is it okay if we relook at the budget of perhaps commissioning this art? Um, Always totally within their rights to do that. But I also think you picked on something that I think is the most common form of character aesthetic change, which is something that is innately tied to TTRPGs as a whole, but also Dungeons and Dragons, which is weapons and items. Uh, We talked about this a little bit earlier with the Monster Hunter example, but characters are always getting new weapons. And that's a very easy change to change the aesthetics of a character and kind of their look based on their narrative, right? Oh, absolutely. So let's take our, let's take our level one pirate. Let's take our level one pirate. Maybe they start off with 
you know, if you think if you're going on a ship, what are you going to find on a ship? You're going to find some guns, probably. You're going to find maybe harpoons or tridents or something along those lines. Maybe as the levels progress, all of a sudden you get this really amazing blunderbuss or you you looted this really amazing ruby and emerald encrusted saber or maybe all of a sudden, you know, they're using arming cannons or have a really great crossbow that they stole from another captain. You can really kind of progress the character's design elements through weapons being probably one of the easier elements to change on the fly without changing the overall character entirely. Because it goes from, oh yeah, I'm a peon who basically just got like all the rusted little knives and daggers that were left over, all the way to, hey, I'm a pretty seasoned sea war veteran now. I've filled a few ships and I'm a damn good shot. Absolutely. Um, I think that's a really good place to to kind of put where our categories are. So to recap our categories thus far, um, just to make sure I, as the audience, am paying attention and listening thus far. So we've talked about the um, kind of location and um, environment that our character has grown up in as our first category. Then we talked about what the world building of the general world is in terms of how that influences the greater um, strokes of the character, whether that be materials or design or things like that. We then went into their job and sort of the things that they do in their profession that might inform their clothing choices or their economic level. We then went into the characters around them that might change them. And now the fifth one, I'm excited to see where you're going because you've already named it the rule of cool. Rule of cool. <laughs> I'm doing a very what big is, open hand gesture. You've got, you've got these very large sweeping rule gestures. Rule of cool, like rainbows and unicorns and rockets shooting out my hands. <laughs> Only if you animate it. Um, you, I know what the rule of cool is in Dungeons and Dragons. How does that differ from your artist's rule of cool? Just sometimes you see something, you're like, damn it, that's so cool. I want to work that into my character's design elements, even though I don't know if I could get it to work. So rule of cool, sometimes it's like really insane weapons that this character, like maybe it's like a small dainty character and all of a sudden it's just this big ass like mace or Mornstar. And rule of cool, a lot of times rule of cool with me is like, it's clothing. Clothing is like rule of cool for me. So uh, like, let's just say it's like a pair of, you were browsing through Pinterest and you saw a pair of really cool goggles. You're like, man, I really want my character to wear that because I think they'd look so cool. But they've never tinkered with anything in their entire life. And maybe that's a running joke. Maybe you have another player character go up to this character and you're like, hey, what are the goggles for? Like, you don't use them. And they're like, oh, well, they're, they're pretty cool, right? And then, and then tying it all back to maybe one session where there's a reason they need to use these goggles. And they're just sitting there going, I was prepared all along. And they just slap them on their face and they go. Like, that's awesome. Like, rule of cool doesn't have to always be super huge grandiose things sometimes it's just little things yeah sometimes maybe it's like a really cool dagger you're like where did you get that and they're like yeah i totally nicked it off this it's, guy it's, once it's so cool i definitely know exactly where this came from furiously checks their notes yeah rule of cool um yeah this uh this cloak that uh i'm sweating in because like you know we're in the middle of a desert but like i look too too legit to quit so i'm just gonna keep the, the rogue it. wearing a full body long sleeve in the middle of the desert yeah absolutely oh yeah absolutely like you're not gonna see a wizard without like 17 layers on they'll be like i look so regal huh 
See, when you said rule of cool initially, I thought you were going to discuss. So this is something that I find because we have a lot of cosplayer friends who complain about this sort of thing, which is aspects of the character design that just when you think about it for more than 30 seconds don't make sense. The prime example of this is that I can think of is in Critical Role um, Campaign 2. There's a character called Ford and his level 10 art. He is wearing this skirt made of leather that is not attached to anything else on his costume so it is just his belt holding it up and it's a lot of weight and every cosplayer that i know who has tried to cosplay it has gone this makes no sense and it's the worst part of this cosplay oh there have been straight up times where i've been like looking at a character design i'm like oh this looks so good how the fuck does this work you're just sitting there and you're like where are the buckles how does this attach how do they comfortably pee in this and you're like, I don't know, but they look dope. With the buckles thing, though, it's 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 one of two like ends of the spectrum. I find either there's not enough buckles to justify the amount of fabric or that is there. Square enix level style of buckles. There is a cloud strife, just like fourteen buckles down the chest. No, flat out. Sometimes rule of cool is just you're just you take something and you're like, how many straps can I put on this person? Before they physically cannot move without needing somebody to de-armor them. And then you wonder, how did they like do this by themselves? Like, how did they do this up before they were in a party? So, like, rule of cool, sometimes it's just, it's chaos. It's just chaos. You're like, I don't know how this works. This is not feasible, nor do I think it's comfortable to even sit down in. But damn, this looks so cool. One of the things I absolutely love, too, is that, like, canonically, in D&D, you have to take off your armor before you can long rest, which means your character has to be able to get in and out of their outfit every single day before they long rest. Oh, it reminds me of that trope where they're like, take off all your weapons, and they, like, take off, like, two knives, and it's like, no, all of your weapons. And, like, they're pulling, like, daggers and knives and swords out of, like, every crevice, and, like, the armor's just slowly but surely, like, falling off piece by piece. Like, yeah, I, I think that honestly, on its own, is a character aesthetic, is having the 4,000 weapons just somehow tucked into, like, three pouches with four buckles on your chest. Oh, yeah. So, like, rule of cool, that, you can make that as big or and as loud or as, like, small and delicate as you want. It could be anything from just, like, yeah, I don't know where they would get this really fancy fabric, but they're gonna have this really fancy fabric. or all the way to, yeah, I don't know where that piece of armor attaches from. It could be Velcro for all I know, but like Absolutely. it's there and it looks cool. But like if they sit down, they will puncture a hole in their butt. <laughs> um. Okay. So I feel like you've done a real, I honestly, for rule of cool, I feel like we've done a great job describing exactly what that means. So with your five categories, you say now that you have these categories, you ask the questions to the player you as the artist then have all of these pieces of information. Are you looking at this and trying to grab the character as a full from all of the information that you have? Or do you try and find like a more specific section of that information that's given to you and build using all the information from there? What does that look like? So normally to me, if I have information present and it's given in my head, if it is told to me, it is an important element. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been said. So okay. a lot of times, especially if they're like, yeah, they wear this, this is what this looks like, this is their job, this is what they do, this is the level that they're at, this is where they're from, this is what they're currently doing in the campaign. 
To me, if it is information that is given like that, it is in my head important information pertaining to the character. Even if it's something very, very small, where they're like, yeah, they're from the dust, like they they're from like very dusty plains. Like, okay. I don't have to make them wear straight up gear like if they were traversing sand dunes. I just need to make it look like they're covered in dust. You can really tie a lot of these elements as far as character designs without saying, okay, I need to take very huge elements from all of these little bits of character designs and mash them all in one and make them work. You could be as subtle or as loud as you want with any of these categories just to kind of, you know, cumulatively make it work. Well, that actually makes a whole lot of sense. And I think that gives us a really good idea of all the questions we should be asking before we started to design our character. Definitely before we go to our artists and go, hey, can you please draw this character for me? Because if you have not gotten character art commissioned, it's one of the most rewarding things. And if you don't know, ask your artists. That's what we're here for. And there are artists everywhere. I swear I trip on at least two or three every single week just going through different hashtags. I love artists, especially ones who have great commissions and great works. And uh, actually, this is something to mention before. Uh, I feel like I should have brought this up at the beginning of the episode. Hales here uh, is a good friend of the show because I commissioned Hales to do the album art at the front of every single episode of Dice Changers. Our little like synth wave uh, uh, cash register came from Hales. That was me. That was all me. That's my baby. But I know I'm on your baby, but that's my baby. <laughs> I love it a lot. Actually, if uh, I dare you to find it, uh, if you look very closely at the front of the cash register, uh, Hales's logo is somewhere on the cash register. Go find it. It's very cool. It's, it's, it's sneaky. I'm sneaky. You're very sneaky. So but sneaky. you know what you're not sneaky with? You're not sneaky with finding the end of the episode because we're at time and I'm bad at segues. Oh, would you look at that? It's the end of the episode. <laughs> I found it. Thank you, Hill, so much for coming on and talking to us about character design because I know this is something you're very passionate about. Obviously, it's your job. Um, but it also gives me an excuse to come and talk to one of my friends. So very quickly, uh, so that the audience can once again know where you're at, can you plug all of your social medias, talk about your projects, talk about where people can find you? We want to hear about where you are on the internet. Perfect. Yeah, totally do that. So just a quick recap. My name's Haley, otherwise known as Hales or Red Queen Hales, all one word on all socials, uh, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch. You can find me everywhere, basically. I never change my username, so I'm Red Green Hills basically everywhere. I do commission art. I stream occasionally. I am a Chaos Goblin incarnate, and I love making pretty things for people. So if y'all ever need any sort of D&D art or any sort of art in general, just hit me up. Let's talk. Hell yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for being on, Hales. Um, and if our audience wants to support this show in any possible way, they can find us every Monday evening at 7 p.m. PST over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Olive. If they want to listen to these episodes when they come out, it's Tuesdays at 11 a.m. PST. Uh, they can find us over on Spotify. Uh, thank you, Hales, for joining me and for doing our awesome cover art. Uh, thank you, uh, my good friend Dankles, for rocking our intro and outro song uh and thank you guys for listening uh that's the end of the episode though so thank you everybody bye thank you stay tasty you little morsels <laughs> oh